Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. That's a lifeline right there for somehow. We see another goal, Hullet. Just intercepted there, £25,000 as well. There we go, he's in it! This will be a first half that Brandon has dreamed of. If he scores now, what a game we could have in our hands right now. Look at the space on the rebound, wow! We are on for a grand stand finish right now. Beyond the Valley. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Karpal in London. And I'm Sahili Rajadri in Singapore. So today we're going to talk about eSports, short for electronic sports, which is basically competitive gaming, and it is growing rapidly today. Now, some of the more common video game genres that you'll find in eSports include real-time strategy games, first-person shooters, fighting games, and something that's called multiplayer online battle arenas. Some of the more popular names that you might have heard include League of Legends, Dota 2, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, Call of Duty, and many, many more. So that's literally people playing video games against each other. But the thing you may surprise many of you is that this industry is worth close to a billion dollars. And you've got teenagers and people in their 20s making millions of dollars and building a career of being the best at any one game. Do you play any games, Arjun? Yeah, I do, Sally. I've always been a, a gamer. I got my first console way back when uh, it was the original PlayStation. And I've always been a console gamer. I used to play games like Street Fighter and, and Tekken. And then I kind of moved on to some of the more sports games, like likes of FIFA. And then, of course, some of the strategy games as well. Games have just kind of evolved incredibly. And uh, that, I think that's what's keep uh, keeps me hooked all these years. How about yourself? I actually got started when I was in secondary school. And I've mostly been a PC gamer. Someone bought me a copy of Warcraft 3 and Counter-Strike and it that's that was basically the start of my gaming career and still I was nowhere as good as some of these uh, players that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's just just crazy how big I think the games industry's got because it started with consoles of course and uh you know, even the old Nintendos and then you know moved on to other console players and and now on mobile as well and I think that perhaps part speaks to what we're going to talk about today which is really the explosion of gaming and how it's turned into this massive industry now. We've got a great podcast for you today. Arjun and I caught up with two top esports players in Singapore and London and we sat down and asked them about their careers, the games they play, how they train and just what it means to be a competitive player. We also spoke to a company that helps put on these massive live competitive gaming events. The real eye-opener for me was that the sheer level of interest that is present today among people who attend these events just to watch other players play video games. Yeah, and on that point, the global esports audience is forecast to hit somewhere around 380 million people this year, according to market research firm Newsy. That means people who are viewers or engage in esports. That's how they define that audience. So that is a massive, massive audience, which just continues to grow. Look, the concept of competitive video gaming isn't new. I was reading that one of the earliest known instances where a video game competition took place was all the way back in 1970s at Stanford University for a game called Space War. Since then, 
esports has grown leaps and bounds in popularity mainly because of the internet. It became much easier to find other gamers online and play with them. Arjun, you and I can go about and play a game of Counter-Strike together without ever being on the same continent. Ah, you're on, Saheli, you're on. Let's do it. I think there are a few areas where competitive video gaming today differs from the past, though. And for starters, the huge prize money that the top players can bring home, totaling hundreds of thousands of dollars. That is on top of the various sponsorship deals they sign with companies, just like your soccer players do, for example, or basketball players. Another aspect is that esports has become a lot more professional and it gets broadcast widely. But what's really fascinating to me about this whole story, uh, the way we've been talking to players, to, to people in the industry, is how people started. If someone told my six-year-old self that I could make millions playing games, I would have just screamed probably. And if I were any good, you'd probably be watching me play Counter-Strike on Twitch right now. But let's talk about someone who was good enough to make it as a professional gamer. His name is Ho Kun Xian. He's a professional fighting games player, and he's currently sponsored by gaming hardware company Razer. Now, Sian plays Street Fighter, and he told me how he got his start. When I'm very young, I was quite poor, so I only have $2 to be left in the arcade. So when I play other games, I realized that even if I win or lose, I will still lose the 50 cents. So, but when I play the fighting game, as long as I can beat the guy, I can always continue playing till the end of the day. So that really inspired me because at that time I just think, oh, I can actually play game my whole life, you know, and not spending much money. And I really like that feeling because um, it, fighting game gives me a, a competitive feeling that satisfies my satisfaction and I don't have to, I can have it every day, that, that kind of satisfaction. So it was very rare feeling for me. So I just continue to now. And at what age did you think to yourself, hey, wait a minute, I can probably do this professionally. Mm, I think I've never thought that I would be able to do this because um, even when I'm 18 years old, um, there was no such thing as a pro gaming career. So this career don't exist. So pursuing a non-existing career is very, it's not very practical. But uh, I get a chance to travel when I won my first uh, tournament. So it was a qualifying tournament to Dreamhack in Sweden. So what they do is they, they give the winner a ticket, a ticket to Sweden. I still remember that scene really clear because when I went there, I had no place to sleep. There was no hotel. It's just a sleeping hall with 10,000 of people lying down, down there and it was really cold. I still remember when my mom gave me two jackets and he said, oh, you will, you will be fine. But it doesn't work that way. It's negative degrees and I've never seen negative degrees. I was shivering my whole time there. And when I, but when I played the competition, I got second place and I realized that actually the world's level is not like I thought. Like I thought that, you know, they are like untouchable, you know, but Singapore do have better competition. So I was shocked and I decided I want to travel to try out even more. And what happened at DreamHack? I got second place at the DreamHack and I get back with $3,000. That was a lot of money for me at that time. So from there, I always save my money and uh, I travel to each tournament after that in Malaysia and I start winning other qualifiers like Korea and eventually people start to notice things because I start beating the big players from Japan when I went to Australia and a guy from Singapore called Len, he notices that I have the potential so he just uh, start sponsoring me at that time until I won Evolution and that's where Team Razor uh, 
Tim Reza actually realized there was a champion, you know, and gave me the opportunity to become a pro gamer. It's fascinating how he was sort of a product of his own environment. And it's worth noting that Sien is from Singapore. Asia has been a major driver of esports with China and South Korea, where there's a huge gaming culture. And around 53% of esports audiences this year is expected to come from the Asia Pacific region, according to Newzo. In fact, the 2018 Asian Games in Jakarta had esports as a demonstration event where qualified gamers put their skills on display in six video game titles. I'd add as well, generally, Asia has a rich gaming history. You think about the companies that have come from there, from areas like Japan, Nintendo, Sony, or Capcom, for example. And actually, speaking of Japan, Sally, you were saying Sian actually has a pretty intense training schedule where he goes to Japan. Yeah, he told me the best Street Fighter players are in Japan. First of all, fighting games, a lot of people have a misunderstanding that it's all about reflexes, but uh, it's actually not. It compromises a lot of things. You have offense, defense, execution, strategy, you know, you have a game plan. There's a, a lot of different things, your knowledge of the game. So what I usually do is I will always spend one, two hours watching videos of uh, opponents. So I study my opponents, write something down for the one, two hours. Then I'll go for training mode for about one hour. And the rest of the three hours, I will usually just play with people on a rank match. I will play like casual sets, you know, with uh, my friends you know, around Hong Kong, you know, or Malaysia. Because we cannot link to Japan. Japan is like the strongest region for Street Fighter. So it's a really big disadvantage. So sometimes it's a very big tournament is coming. I will head off to Japan to train for like what, a week or two before heading to the tournament. That's how I would do it. Why is Japan the toughest uh, place? It has the most number of uh, com- strongest competitors there. So it will be the best and has really great online over there. So it's the best region to train for fighting game. Just like uh, it'll be for different sports and different countries that are good at it. Very cool. One thing that's intrigued me about the whole esports thing is the training regimes. Now look, I used to do archery at a very, pretty decent level and the training was clear. I would go and shoot a target and practice for competition. I also used to play a bit of soccer as well. We did drills. And it appears that esports training is, is kind of similar. I was recently chatting to Conran Tobin, or Ranners, as he is known in the gaming world. He's a pro FIFA player from Ireland who now lives in London, where he trains and, and also competes. And I was asking him about what life is like as an esports star. Um, well, there's actually variations from day to day. We have a schedule. Um, so there's certain slots for free time, which at the moment is just being put into the game anyways because I'm trying to practice so much. Um, then also there is dedicated practice times. There's dedicated coaching sessions. Uh, there's dedicated gym time. So there's a lot of stuff there as well as in and out house activities. Um, so, yeah, there's a variety. So, so let's drill into that a bit then. Gym time, you said, as in... The physical gym. Yes. <laughs> so what's the what's the thinking behind that then? Uh, well, that's just a kind of healthy body, healthy mind thing, I believe. Um, I mean, once again, we're in the team house, so we don't really leave the house often. So it's just not a way to get out the house, do something else. And and so that that's quite interesting because obviously you know there's a, there's a lot of similarities in that sense to to what people would consider traditional sports, whether that you know soccer, football, basketball, um, American football. So what is um, other parts that you see similarities with, with traditional sports? Do you have, for example, nutritionists? Uh, so at the moment, we don't, unfortunately. Um, but a nutritionist and psychologist is something 
that other teams have and hopefully we will too soon um as well as when it comes to similarities i mean there's numerous ones including something like sponsorships uh tv rights etc so there's a lot of similarities how how long a day would you say you're training for uh at the moment just because fifa has come out it's about 16 hours but that will drop to about six more intense hours as the season progresses you said you have coaching sessions and and you know training sessions how do you train for a game like fifa because you know, again, I, I draw the analogy with traditional sports. You know, you run drills. Um, for example, if you're playing soccer, you're, you're running drills. Perhaps you're practicing penalties or free kicks or corners um, and certain plays. Is that how you'd liken it even to playing a game like FIFA, which, if our listeners don't know, is, is a soccer game? Is that how you'd, you do similar things? you running drills and, and learning to kind of practice those those set pieces as well? Yeah, so the main thing in FIFA is set pieces that you can actually go out of your way to specifically practice. Uh, so corners are the main thing for me. Uh, I score pretty much every other corner, uh, and that makes me base my game around getting corners. So then the next step is, okay, how can I easily get corners, whether that's going down the line and kind of forcing them to tackle me out of play or to be in the right position to take a shot that I know the goalkeeper will parry out for a corner. As much as I love games, I'm not sure I could live in a house where I wake up and play games all day. As dreamy as that does sound, 16 hours a day he trains. I can't imagine staring at my screen for that long. But here's the thing, a lot of the top level gamers and teams have their own nutritionists and they regularly visit the gym to keep fit. Which, if you think about it, makes sense because when you're playing football, whether on a pitch or on a console, you have to be at the to- in top shape, both physically and mentally. Yeah, and I think another big similarity with traditional sports is the fact that players are retiring young. I'm 27, so I reckon it's too late for me, since Conran told me players are retiring at age 32. That's too old, apparently, in the esports world. And the kicker? Some players have enough money to just call it quits and live a comfortable life from then on. Yeah, the main reason, and it's the same reason for pretty much all esports, is the reactions and kind of just thinking ability does slowly degrade, uh, where you're just not going to be as fast on your feet as a 21-year-old. Is it feasible that people have enough money by the age of 32 that they could live off from playing professional esports? You could definitely retire on it, but once again, it depends on your level. Uh, So how it kind of works in esports is players don't earn like 20% more than each other. They could earn four or five times as much as another player. So it depends what your level is. So these players are one major part of the esports world. But what we're seeing way more of now are physical tournaments in arenas with massive audiences. And there's some huge events. There was an event last year in Poland called the Intel Extreme Masters. And it drew in a crowd of 173,000 people. Now, to give you a comparison, Manchester United, one of Britain's top football clubs, their home ground, Old Trafford, can seat about 75,000 people on a game day. Now, this is not to even mention that there were millions of people who were watching the Intel Extreme Masters online through various streaming services. 
I was watching some esports content online and what struck me is that it's very similar to traditional sports, commentary, player profiles, stats, all of the things you'd associate with watching, say, the Premier League soccer here in the UK. That's what people putting these shows on are thinking about now. That's according to Gary Cook, the executive chairman at Gfinity. It's a UK-based company that helps put on esports tournaments. They've got an arena in London, and I caught up with Gary to talk about what he thinks about when putting on a show. Well, you know, I come from a a traditional sports background, having spent uh, many years at Nike and then Manchester City and then the UFC. I've seen all of the elements of growth around traditional sports and the changes that have been made through global media. I don't think it's any different. Uh, I think the most important thing, though, is the consumer will decide, the fans will decide, the players will decide what they want to watch. But what is consistent here is you have to drive people to the live event. All right. So we want to see live competition. However, we have to have a reason to watch that live competition. We have to be given the backstories. We have to be told why this is important to us. Uh, and we're seeing that also in the esports world. We want to know the players. You know, people want to know about Ninja, the you know now ranked 14th in the world's you know, athlete list uh, as uh, with regards to reach Tyler Blevins. And so what we're seeing now over time is we're seeing a professional element develop. We're seeing a strong, critical mass of amateur competition develop. And we're continuing to see the gamers. So therefore, the event is only the same as what traditional sports, the very best performing in an environment that allows us to watch the Romans were doing that. But what about what about the other elements around that then? What are kind of some of the, the other pieces of content beside the actual live event that become important? Is it around perhaps creating these these profiles of some of these players, as you were mentioning? Uh, is it around a kind of analysis element with these kind of pundits, as you see in, in, in other sports as well? Yeah, our studio has all of the elements of a traditional sports event. It has uh, colour commentary. Uh, it has pundits, it has uh, analysis, replay analysis, we review, uh, we have the live event, we have the interviews. And I think what's happening now as we, as we continue to move forward, those, those are all developing into be, become more important. We need to know who these players are, where they've come from, why they're attracting so much attention through, the, through social media. Um, so we have to have all of those elements in play. At the same time, you've got to be ha- you've got to have the right broadcast quality. You've got to be able to broadcast at the right time when people want to watch. And we have to track the behaviour of people who want to watch these watch these events. One other thing I've seen is the sponsorship and advertising around esports. You have seen huge brands and companies like Intel or Microsoft get on board with a lot of these tournaments. Razer, of course, makes hardware for gaming, but it also has its own esports team. Yeah, a lot of these brands see the opportunity there to reach a very young and very engaged audience who they maybe can't touch through other methods of advertising. Good point. And I guess that's why forecasters think esports industry is going to be worth over a billion dollars in the next couple of years. That's big business. It's still smaller than other major sports leagues. However, that, that is still a huge growth. Yeah, Gary Cook of Gfinity thinks many of the forecasters are actually underplaying the potential of the industry. Oh, I, I think the numbers are very conservative, um, and, and I'll tell you why I think that. Um, we, we are in a space that everybody wants to have access to. When you create that inertia 
corporate brands, we're seeing that over 70% of the revenue right now in this economy is created by advertising, rights fees, um, you know, and, and marketing. Uh, so that's a that's a huge number. That means everybody wants access to the consumers. We're seeing just less than 10% is coming from merchandising and tickets. So I think that as we do more, which is what we're seeing, everybody's doing more. There are more games. There is more content. There are more events. And now we're breaking through in prize money. Uh, we're over $100 million dollars a year now in prize money so as soon as that becomes you know the bigger part of the world this the, the economy is growing and it's going to continue to grow and i think those numbers are conservative hearing that though i do want to temper some of this hype while esports is seeing fast growth even some of the players think it will be hard to compete with traditional sports leagues it'll definitely get really big it'll get to the level where you know people will know what it is they won't have to ask oh, wait, you, you can play FIFA professionally? They'll be like, yeah, I've heard of it, but I don't follow it. I think it'll get to that stage where it's just common knowledge, but I don't think it can it can compete with the proper traditional f- sports that uh, even households just support teams like Man United. So that was Conran Tobin there talking about what he thinks the future of esports look like. And it's interesting to hear that perspective from a player that he's not saying it's going to be as big or as well known as, say, the Premier League. But, you know, it is going to be well known. And of course, we can't deny how quickly esports is growing. I think that was a fascinating, fascinating insight from what we've heard from both Sian and from Conran and from Gary uh, Cook as well from Gfinity. A, a big insight into how this whole industry is evolving and how it works as well. What I found really interesting, Arjun, is just how much discipline you need to be a professional gamer. You know, I used to think that all you needed was a gaming console and a monitor and a few hours put in to be able to play the game, but I completely stand corrected. So, Saheli, do you think you're going to have a pop at pro gaming? I don't think so. I think you and I are a bit too old to have a career now. yeah i think i'll stick to playing console games with my friends on the couch at home guys i just wanted to let you know that this podcast including some clips you heard at the start of the show courtesy of gfinity and electronic arts and if you guys are involved in gaming if you like gaming if you watch esports please do get in touch on twitter i'm at arjun carpal and i'm on twitter at sahili rc that was another episode of cnbc's beyond the valley thank you for listening Beyond the Valley.